So about three weeks ago, uh, Vet Rep had its very first event uh, at our parlor space in Cornwall, New York. And it I think I've talked a little bit about it on the show, but it was a veteran poetry event where all the poetry that we feature daily on the Savage Wonder Literary blog, we kind of curated that, uh, picked a couple of pieces, and put them together in kind of uh, seven different themed uh, readings so that we combined into one evening's worth of entertainment. And we invited the poets to come and read their own stuff. Most of them couldn't make it because they're on active duty or had other obligations or whatever. Um, and so we had actors read their stuff. And the two poets that were able to make it were Mason Roadrig, who's been on the show before, obviously, and Dex. And obviously, because we'd already talked to Mason, um, and we actually talked to him before he even came out and did Vet Rep, uh, you know, that was cool. So we had that locked down. But I really wanted to make sure we talked to Dex. Um, she was a huge hit at the reading. Um, the pieces that she read were... And I think we get into it in the episode. Her her writing is incredibly unique, um, both out of the veteran community and inside the veteran community. I, I don't know anyone else that really writes about the stuff that she writes about. Um, you know, a lot of vets that are writing poetry write very personal pieces, uh, things about interpersonal relationships that work or don't work, or you know, unrequited love or requited love that went away and all that. And she touches on that, um, but. I think the degree to which she has written eloquently and poignantly about motherhood, um, God, um, parents, family, uh, and the, the warrior spirit in her, and how that's been manifested or blocked or obfuscated, is it's just really rare. I haven't read anything else like it, and, um, and she writes it incredibly well. So I was uh, thrilled we could get her on um, this week, and I think you guys are going to have a blast listening to her. Uh, I, I love her. She's, she's awesome. She's great to talk to, and uh, she recorded this from the uh, parking lot of UMD where she's taking classes. So for a little while, we were in. Uh, I was on pins and needles waiting for the uh, local security to come and kick her out of the parking lot because she wasn't supposed to be there as long as she was but fortunately we dodged that bullet and uh we got a full length episode out of this so sit back and enjoy the savage wonder of dex what's up dex just i mean oh Sitting man in the car in the parking lot Waiting to be kicked by school. a cop. Yeah. yeah. I got just you. got done with a therapy session. Man, this is just talking, talking, talking all day. Jesus. So. Yeah. A full day about you. That's got to feel pretty good. Not the way you think. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what? Uh, hey, you know what I just realized? I yep. always call you Dex. Is that what we're mm-hmm. calling you? Do we want to use your actual name or do we just want to do Dex? You can just use Dex. That's what most everybody calls me. That's the nickname that everyone just gives me because my last name is Dexter and I have gone by Dexter since I was like a sophomore in high school. And I, it's really weird when I introduce myself to people as Dexter now that I'm out of the military, because then everyone's like, really? 
Dexter. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. Like, that's just my name. Do you even respond but, uh, when people call you by your first name? Does that even register um, with you? Or are you like, dude, who the hell are you? Well, occasionally. I mean, it's really just like family that calls me that. So. Okay. It is, it is a little weird. Like, oh, I guess my coach at the gym calls me that because I never bothered to to tell him to call me Dexter. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, so, that would seem that would seem pretty jarring, I think, if you're used to being called Dex all the time or Dexter. It's probably a good way of outing people that don't know you very well. If they call you oh, on yeah. the phone and start calling and start talking to you by your first name, you're like, Yeah, dude, clearly mm-hmm. you don't know me. Don't bullshit me. Yeah, it's a good screening just, device. It's way too intimate, I think. It's it's like that's my first name. Like it's get true. that out of your mouth. It's just stop. <laughs> You know, it, it's, yeah, no, that's totally true. I've got a weird thing about names myself. I had, cause in, in the military, I usually went by a different name, um, a different first name. So every time people actually use my real first name, especially when I get back off deployment, I'd be like ready to punch somebody. I'm like, motherfucker, don't say my fucking name. It's so, it's so weird. Yeah. It was just so bizarre, uh, but yeah, that was my own weird hang up. Um, well, shit. Well, I feel like, uh, you're probably all primed and ready to talk then if you've been in therapy. Um, you're, you probably like got a whole bunch of juicy stuff like right on the forefront of your brain. All the juicy secrets. Actually, it's <laughs> kind of just like once it's out of my mouth, it's like, it's gone. That's it. And the, so that it solves yeah, everything. Yeah, I know. I know. Do you find that? Do you find you, you once you've talked about something, it's over? Or do you find like, no, that just identify the problem, but doesn't fix anything? Sometimes, you know, I guess it is the context of like, if, if the whole thing is like resolved, but I, I feel like most people don't go to therapy and like resolve something in one session. So, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I know most of, most people are Woody Allen. You got to go for 15 years to try to make any progress. Right. Sure. Well, I, and then I just, I write about it. So, well, see that that's the biggest thing. So I was thinking about your writing, obviously, um, and gearing up for this. And, um, I think you're a good case study and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're a good case study for the idea that you want some pain in your life. If you're going to try to do anything momentous in your life, <laughs> like, like it's very hard to, to be like just fucking happy, go lucky and super positive mindset and rah, rah, go get them. And then do great works of art. I think that's a, it's a tough lift to do that. Do you feel that way? Are you like, do you, are the times you look back and you're like, you know, you're not glad about tough times you've had, but you're like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be who I am without them. And I like who I am and I like how I'm exploiting the bad times I've had and the way, what I'm able to do with them, what I'm able to craft with them. Mm-hmm. Is there any part of you that feels that way? Yeah, no, I, I think you, you really hit on it. And I guess I have the perfect analogy for you uh, because today was leg day. And I think it's appropriate because my Instagram handle is squat rack poet. And today I did my squats. Um, yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute too, but yeah, <laughs> I think for me, it's, um, they are building experiences, you know, those times when you feel pain and you feel hurt and, uh, as you go through them, you build your tolerance of them and you're able to to handle it and to really face it. And I, I am not scared of facing the pain that I'm going through. Um, and you know, obviously it took me a long time in my life to get there, but today, I, I did my leg day and I never skip split squats and I have the weight. And occasionally when I'm really just angry, I will just take my headphones out and I will do them 
in silence and I just split squats and I'm burning and I'm dying and they're the most painful exercise and I love them and I don't skip them and I have fantastic quads. See, and look how that's worked out for you. All that pain just transforms into great quads. Right. And that's, yeah, that remind. I'm sorry, that, just, that reminds me of a, uh, one of my, I don't know this, I don't know why this reminded me of this, but I was thinking of, um, one deployment, uh, I was in the gym and there were, um, some, uh, Romanian soft folks hanging out. And one of them was this Intel chick attached a Romanian Intel chick who was attached to the soft guys. And she was doing, uh, Romanian deadlifts. And, uh, and I remember we were all looking and we we're like, do you call them Romanian deadlifts or do you just call them deadlifts? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's my first, I don't know, leg day gym story that came to mind. But um, yeah, so it's weird. I actually want to ask you about the physicality versus the art sure. for a second. Yeah. So um, I'll preface this. There was a guy I once knew, I was a good buddies with, we bounced together at some nightclubs and he was um, at the time he was a purple belt in BJJ and he ended up becoming a black belt. And I remember uh, we were in LA and he was trying to make it as a screenwriter and he was really struggling. He couldn't get a break. And he, I remember him saying to me one night, he's like, I'm acutely aware that my jujitsu stops my writing career because the amount of time that I invest in taking notes and studying and trying to be the best BJJ practitioner I can be um, is bandwidth. I, I can't make up and, and I lose that in my writing and I'm acutely aware I'm not as good a writer as I could be otherwise. Do you find that with your working out? Do you find that like on days you work out, you're like, dude, I'm in a physical headspace. I don't have time to get too introspective. I don't have time to rip open my veins and pour something onto a piece of paper. I, 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 I'm just, I'm in my body. I'm feeling it. I'm getting after it. And this is my treatment. This is my medicine today. I don't need the writing. Or do you find it fuels it? Do you find it's, it's exactly the opposite? I, I think it definitely fuels it. And, um, it's, I know for me, I suppose like it's an act of catharsis. It's being able to go and to push and to be, to place my body under stress when my mind is under stress, um, helps me to work through both issues of being fat and being <laughs> weak. And then also work through the issues of my mind not being, um, in the appropriate place. And so it okay. does help me kind of make sense of things, uh, concurrently. And then I find that like, you know, that, that catharsis happens and then things make a little bit more sense. And so I am able to write it down. Um, because when I'm going through stuff, I usually make sense of it in my head before I put it on paper. Um, really? and occasionally I wait for things oh. to kind of just come together and, um, I guess my process for working out is very like structured. Um, okay. I go to the gym. This is what I want to do. Um, I don't have the freedom really with my life schedule to just take off and go to the gym whenever I want. Um, so I usually have to set out a specific amount of time for it and get to a workout um, uh, on a schedule. But with writing, uh, I kind of don't have a schedule for that and I fit it in where I can. But I feel like when I have that moment of catharsis and that moment of clarity that comes afterwards, I'm able to be like, okay, yeah, that's the idea. That's, that's what I want to talk about when I write. That's what I want to sit down and think about. And then, I don't know, it's kind of like looking backwards, like looking 
over the feelings, like, um, I'm not necessarily through the situation, but I can look back and, and pinpoint like, okay, that's how I felt here. And that's how I felt here. And I'm going to put it all together in this piece. And occasionally I'll, I'll write like on my phone in the notes app, you know, I'll just be like, okay, this is a line that I want to use. And I'll just put that down somewhere. Um, and sometimes I'll collect enough that I'll put them together in a poem. And other times they have to sit and wait until the whole poem is ready to be written. Um, but generally I, I kind of get through some things before I sit down and put it on paper. Other times it's not always that simple, but I, I like to get through the confusion and the hurt and have that clarity before I really sit down with something. How many poems do you work on at a time? Are you like dedicated to just like one idea that you're trying to flesh out and gnaw at and chew over, over and over until you get it out? Or are you like, well, here's, here's something I'm thinking about on this thing. And then actually here's something that I think is going to go on a different topic. And are you just diversifying? Oh, diversify. Totally. I, I think personally, emotionally, and with the writing, I like to put things on a shelf. Um, and it's actually something that I've thought about a lot recently. Um, I used to not be this way. Obviously most of us start out as kind of basket cases when it comes to like emotional shit. Um, but I have gotten really good the older that I get, especially being around my kids that you have to learn how to compartmentalize things. And I've gotten really good at it and maybe I'll get too good one day and I'll have to back off. But I like to put some things on a shelf, some things in a box and I can think about it for a minute and then take it out again when it's appropriate. And I do that when I write, um, I have a, a body of work that I'm trying to put together into a book and it has a theme and it has, you know, this um, different kind of feeling to it. And then I have some poems on that that are already works in progress. Some of them are only like half written. Um, but when I get into that headspace again, I can go back and work on them. And then I'm, I don't know, I don't stress about them. You know, when they're ready, they're ready. How do you know when they're ready? I don't know. How do you know what salt tastes like? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I know it and I read it and I mull it over. Maybe I put it on the shelf for a minute and I have a lot of doubts so I can take it back and look at it again. How much editing do you do of your poems? Do you generally, because you're sitting there waiting, mulling, chewing it over. By the time you actually write it, are you like, yeah, that's like 80 to 90% done? Or are you like, no, that's like 30% done. And I'm going to have to go back over this a whole lot, maybe even a couple of weeks or a month or two. Most of the time, I think by the time it's on paper, it's done. Yeah. But um, other times there's a couple of poems that I've had to really go back and take stock of that I thought were done. And then a couple months later, I go back and I read them. Um, and I mean, I, I did a, a writer's workshop, kind of a virtual workshop a while ago. and. Um, I got some feedback on one of my poems that I already had some doubts over, but you know, they gave me some feedback. They were like, this sounds like two completely different poems mm. in one. And I was like, you know what? You guys are right. And I let it sit for a while before I went back to edit it and figure out kind of where I needed to go with these two different directions. And um, I wound up splitting and that's one that's still a work in progress because I wrote one of the poems that it's supposed to be. And I don't like it and I'm not sure how to fix it. So I just have to put it on the shelf for a while. Yeah. So that one, 
that one's got a lot of editing and I might just redo it and pull some lines out of it that I liked. But, um, I would say a lot of the recent stuff, um, probably within the last month or so that I've put on my Instagram account, uh, most of those were, uh, one and done sat down, wrote it, crossed a couple out, decided I liked, you know, how all these lines fit. And, and that was it. Do you write every day? Most days. Yeah. Do you make a point of it or does it just end up happening that way? No, I think it just ends up happening that way. Um, sometimes it's just like a thought that I have. Sometimes it's just, you know, I write like, you know, when I'm writing a, a couple lines in my notes app, but it is, it's something that's kind of always on my mind, I think. When you talked about the workshop you'd taken, I mean, how much have you dived into the schooling of poetry and, and to going in learning form and learning structure and all those things? Is that something you've, have, has that been like, hey, let me start writing poetry and then you start going to classes and figuring that out? Or is it something that you've touched on once and are like, yeah, that, that did it for me. I'm good. That's all I need to know. How much of a student of poetry are you? Mm. I'm probably a terrible student of poetry. I'm a pretty terrible college student in general. <laughs> uh, I don't want to discuss my GPA, but uh, <laughs> um, when I want to learn it, I go learn it. Um, and that might not be the best approach to education. Um, I think it's the best approach. That's absolutely <laughs> the best approach. I mean, because because you got to be interested in what you're learning. And it, there sure. has to be a motivated learner sitting there and no, everybody sucks at stuff you don't care about. So, yeah. and, and I think the people that that's why they always, what's that famous saying? Like the straight A students will end up working for the B students in companies run by the C students. And it's like, yeah, because the C students were the ones that were like, I only really care about the shit I care about. And that shit right. I'm really on the A students are like out there, people pleasing and getting every subject right. And, you know, knocking themselves and I'm, I'm dogging people. And I was not an A student. No, it's literally. okay. Cause but, I have like, all C's right now. See, there you go. There's no telling. You're gonna be the next. Jeff Don't worry Jason about it. That attitude. I'm yeah. not the one you're gonna offend here. <laughs> well, I mean, but so no, that makes sense to me that that um, you're interested in what you're interested in, and, and that um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think when I read, mostly it is not poetry. I do like reading other people's poetry, um, but I would say that I kind of let myself stumble on it. Um, and Instagram for me has been a wonderful place to, to be able to do that. So it kind of just, I get it in little doses, but you know, one here and one there, and you know, it's kind of totally different topics. It's really hard for me to sit down and read like a whole book of poetry. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause I kind of get lost in the ideas, but I, especially lately, I'd say probably the last couple years of my life, I have been super, super into nonfiction, um, like biographies and historical uh, books and whatnot. And well, well, I guess a little bit of historical fiction too. Um, and that has really kind of spurred on a lot of my inspiration with writing and a lot of, you know, it's brought up a lot of feelings as I think about like um, real events, especially like military history and whatnot has been a big thing that's kind of pushed me into the headspace that I write from. Really? Yeah. It's funny because I'm thinking about your work and I'm, th I mean, the stuff that stands out to me, uh, your poem, Eve, uh, your poem, her, um, and it's the stuff that seems to me very personal and let's just categorize that under the general umbrella of relationshipy, 
um, versus, say, military history. Um, you know, like when we had Mason on, I mean, that was like, you know, fuck all the politicians that are sending us out to the Abbey Gate, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, it, right. I, I don't get that from you, but but that has been a part of your you feel that's been a part of your motivation and, and your instigation in writing. Well, I think it's it's been a part of um, me uh, leaning in, I guess, to the kind of person that I want to be. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, some of those poems obviously aren't, you know, directly pulled from, from stuff, but like, uh, a lot of it is the journey that I'm on currently in my life. And, you know, what I want to do is my life's work and my life's passions. Um, and then as some of the peripheral things change, like marriage and relationship and, you know, being a, a parent and all of those things, um, I guess like the things that I become inspired by and the ripple effects of all of that in my life, okay. I guess is more what I'm referring to. But if I had to to pinpoint like a source, I'd say it's, you know, the decision that I had when I started leaning in and realized that um, for me, the military and my service in the military, it's not just a chapter in my book that I'm closing and that I'm okay to close. It um, is a significant portion of my book. It's, my life's work, I think. And that's where I need to be and position myself. And so that's where a lot of my interests lie. And I used to feel like, Oh, I'm just a bro vet. And then I was like, maybe I am, you know, a little bit on the inside. Like I don't look like a bro vet. I look like, and I probably like Wednesday Adams if she grew up and went to college, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but deep down inside I'm wearing like American flag patches and I drink red clover coffee and I go to the gym and, uh, you know, I like camel print stuff. So, so maybe we should get into the origin story of Dex. What, what started first, your love of the military or your writing? My writing, for sure. When when did you first actually write? That wasn't first like school. Well, I I never really wrote poetry like for school. I mean, I guess I did. Like, mm. I guess that's something that all like high school students and middle school students do, like in English composition. But um, I remember coming out to the vet rip event and thinking prior to the event, some of my friends were asking me, um, well, you're excited. You're a little nervous. And I was like, yeah, like this is the first time I've ever presented my poetry as an adult. Mm. And I think the last time I read my poetry out loud, um, in front of an audience, I think it was like in eighth grade. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I I had been writing for years through middle school and high school, Um, lots of poetry, sometimes short stories. Um, I even wrote like theatrically. I did some some theater classes in high school. Um, My my high school had a really wonderful uh, arts program, which is pretty uncommon, um, especially for the South. I grew up in Alabama and our our high school had this production class um, that was actually the the class put on all of the plays for the school that year. And we went to uh, theater competitions in the beginning half of the year. And I wrote a significant number of the monologues and the duets, um, but I, I wrote all of my own and then pieces that, you know, I wrote for some of the other students in the class as well. Um, and I don't mean to brag or anything, but we all got awards. <laughs> Sir, well, how did I not know this? 
You, you know we have a playwriting competition going on, right? I do. Um, yeah. And I know that you do it every six months. And I'm probably not going to get one in before the end of the year. That's but, all right. Yeah. But okay. I, I, I know Mason's sitting there screaming at the skies going, don't tell anybody else about it. But yeah. Um, no, that I had no idea. Where in Alabama were you? Huntsville, North oh, Alabama. Okay. So, I mean, it's a college town though, right? So you still had... In there, in their colleges, a little bit. A little there bit. is. There's a UAH, is an engineering yeah. school. There's NASA. There's Redstone Federal Arsenal. There's a Toyota plant. There's North Alabama is actually pretty metropolitan. Um, there's a ton of Mormons there, which is really weird. Um, but you know, all the Mormons made up the cast the the School Musical, which I don't know why that made sense, but it did. It wasn't <laughs> the Book of Mormon, was it? Because that would be just no. on the nose. <laughs> No, it was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. There, oh, there was a couple of them. That's hilarious. So so wait, what happened to all the stuff you were writing? Like besides the stuff that you shared through school with as part of the theater program. What, oh, what did you probably, have? To, it's it probably my somewhere? parents' house. Really? Yeah, it's got to be buried. Have I don't you know ever if looked I at it go. again? I don't know if I want to. You should. Uh, you know what? I'm the Bring type of therapy. person who looked back at my journals from high school like my journals from, cause I used to journal all the time. I am terrible at it now, but I, uh, I used to journal back then. And I like took one look at a couple of pages and I was like, I can't even throw them away. Can't, I don't know where they, they're gone. <laughs> I'm sure there's some therapist that would look at that and go, Oh yeah, that was healthy. That's totally good. Cause that means you're done with that. You close that chapter of your life. There's something symbolic and uh. deep and all that about it. So when did the Marines enter the picture for you? Where did that come from? Well, first off, were you a theater chick? I mean, obviously this was taking up a little bit of your time in high school. So was that how you classified yourself? No, definitely okay. not. And I'm actually a pretty terrible actress. I, I kind of, when I get up on stage, um, when I did back in high school, I'm sure I could probably learn a little bit better now, but my teacher didn't really care to teach. Um, I kind of had one, one one range i didn't i didn't have a wide range it was very small and right. it was all like drama <laughs> I had this kind of one voice and i should have like expanded he should have had me do some comedy pieces just to explore that a little bit but um yes yeah, so i was not that great and i only did it for a short time in high school i think it was uh semester one of the semesters of my senior year and oh, okay i um so were you? No, it was no, it was my it was my whole junior year. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right. Um, and before that, I mean, I was a weird art kid. I oh, okay. Went. I tried going to art school for a while uh, when I first started college after high school. Um, I am a pretty decent artist, but I just don't have a lot of time to sit down and and work on like real art right now, other than the writing. But I was a weird little art kid. Um, I did would karate. You, wait, would you want to do that? Would you want to do art if you had the time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I really enjoy drawing. I enjoy doing a lot of like design work. Um, I like doing multimedia stuff. So I paint um, both in oils and acrylics. And um, I do lots of pen and ink. I don't do a lot of pencil sketching. I don't know. There's something fun about the permanence of pen and ink where it's like if i screw this up i screw this up and i'm just gonna go ham and risks be damned i like it you know there's something i think i, I 
it'd be cool if you tried to do that and marry it to your poetry. Cause there is something yeah. about Instagram. I agree with you. I think Instagram is the greatest po- poetry publishing platform ever because, and, and not just because it's so accessible and so common and that everybody's on it and everybody can see it, but also because it is multimedia and because, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're seeing it scrawled on a napkin or whether you're seeing it with artwork displayed that somebody thought was representative of the poetry, whatever it, it, it is a multimedia presentation of poetry. Um, I don't know. That'd be cool. That'd be cool to see what you conceptualized your own poetry as if you had a pen and paper and drew something for it. That's just my yeah. two cents. I mean, um, I think right now a lot of it is all of the pictures. There's only one picture on my account that I haven't actually taken out of my own life. Really? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's. That's right. Yeah. That, that, I'm trying to remember it, but yeah, that, that seems right to me. So, so you were more, so you were doing, you were more of the arts kid. You were doing karate. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had like the physical and the arts in you a little bit in high school. Yeah, a little bit. I, my mom wouldn't let me do sports growing up. Um, <laughs> surprise, because all the sports that I wanted to do were the boy sports. I wanted to try out for the wrestling team. And she said, no. And I was like, well, can I try out for the football team? And she said, absolutely not. And she was like, you can do karate. And it wasn't associated with school at all. So I did that for a long time. I did it for like seven years. Um, and I actually do have a black belt. I almost got my second degree black belt. But uh, What style? What style did you do? I would just classify it as karate. I had a fantastic instructor. Um, and he owned the studio. He was wonderful. He had a lot of other instructors. And um, he had a lot of different disciplines that he studied himself so when he taught he incorporated a lot of jujitsu um a lot of just regular sparring um we did some elements from kung fu like we did a lot of like the kata work and then uh he would hold some classes um in different disciplines like specifically like um i can't remember the names of it but like uh the sword classes swordsmanship so he would do more kendo aedo type stuff kendo that's the yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he had a guy that came down and taught that class for us but um it was kind of like multidisciplinary um but it was a wonderful studio and he he was a constant student um and so i definitely say that i got a lot out of that like physically but i didn't i wasn't really into like um working out or fitness or any of that until Oh gosh, probably even the last year of being in the Marine Corps, I was painfully average physically as a Marine. Really? So, oh yeah. So that, that didn't kick it off for you. Basic boot camp didn't do a 180 for you and make you get, become a fitness fanatic or anything. No. And I would really credit like being in the Marine Corps and the changes like I, that I had to make in myself, in my mindset, um, kind of towards the end of my Marine Corps career, we're kind of settling in the seeds were really starting to grow. And then finally um, the last couple of years of my life being out and wanting to get back in and realizing I have to do real work to do that. Uh, I wasn't just a high school graduate that was marginally fit and I could just kind of get along. Um, I've had to lose like a ton of weight. I've had to work really hard Um, and there's, there's still work ahead. And that has, that's been a, a huge challenge. 
So when did so back to my original question? When did you when the Marine Corps even enter your aperture? When did you even become conscious of that as a choice? Uh, probably was it my senior year of high school. And right how the end. how did it how did it get into your life? How did that even? How did you find out? How did you even start thinking about it? Oh, this is a great sappy story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of always like thought the military was cool, like in high school. I mean, there's a lot of high school kids that do it. And I did like ROTC when I was like a freshman. And and then um, I stepped away from it. I didn't do it for a while. I, I did ROTC for like my last year of high school as well. But I dated a guy who was in the Marine Corps when I was in high school. Um, and you can reserve your judgments for, for that. Uh, trust me, I've already beaten myself up about it. Whatever. Um, very stupid 16 year old decisions. Um, that's not the official Marine Corps recruiting policy, by the way, is it? Uh, I certainly hope not. But <laughs> some of these recruiters out there. Never know. Oh you never know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and I mean, just as like human beings go, like he's, uh, he's probably not actually a crappy human being anymore, but like, when you experience human beings, you experience them in a snapshot. And so for me, uh, forever, he'll always be a crappy human being. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's the experience that I had with this person, but it turned me off the military and I was like, Oh, you know, screw the military, screw military dudes and all that stuff. But then while I was a senior, I was working on a project for my art portfolio for art school. And and every art school has you make this type of portfolio and you've got to have certain types of projects in there and still lives and like series uh, of works. So I was working on one of these series and I decided to do it on like a kind of a graphic design exploration of how would somebody create an ad campaign for like, you know, support the troops um, mm. in my cheesy little 17 year old way. And I created this project, but through creating this project, I was doing a lot of research into speeches and military pictures and military campaigns and things that, you know, the whole military had been involved in. And I came across, because it was like a year later, it was 2009, I was working on this. Um, I think it was 2008 when General Kelly gave his Memorial Day speech. And I came across that speech and I read it and it just like, it hit me. And I'm super not ashamed of anymore, but you know, back when I first joined the Marine Corps, it's really cool not to care. Um, I was like, right. well, I can't tell anybody about this. <laughs> you were an idealist. You had to be a oh, closet idealist. I was a closet idealist for a really long time. And I think, honestly, I think that really hurt my career, but. Really? Uh, Why? I do. Because I was closeted about it. Because if I just let myself be the idealist, you know, that could have motivated me, but it's cool to not care. And you can't like really be patriotic. You can't really love it. You know, I came into the Marine Corps at a time where everyone was a disgruntled Lance Corporal. And if I wasn't a disgruntled Lance Corporal, I was treated like an idiot. And I was already a woman. So why do two things that are terrible, right? Um, but I, you know, this little high school student, I read that speech and I was like, man, there's something there. And I felt really passionate about it. And I was like, maybe, maybe that's something that I want to do in my life. And I also grew up very religious and very conservative. 
And my parents were very opposed to the idea of me going into the military. And they wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to serve a religious mission. They wanted me to get married and have babies and never think about anything else um, for life aspirations, which to this day is still true. And I was already kind of like, I don't know if I want to really do those things. And I thought, you know, maybe I can just toe the line and I can do all of those things and I can make myself proud and I can make mom and dad proud and I can make, you know, their idea of Jesus proud and life goes on and you decide that you can't pick all of those things. Um, but I decided that at some point in my life, I was going to join the Marine Corps because I don't like to half-ass things. And so I figured if I was going to join the military at all, if I joined any other branch, I was always going to look back and think, well, could I have done the Marine Corps? Mm-hmm. And I was always going to have the question in my head. And I was like, well, I don't want to have the questions. So I may as well just do the Marine Corps. And then I'll know, you know, yeah. then I'll know like, okay, if I join the Marine Corps, well, I, I could have passed the army, army boot camp. I could have passed Navy, but I chose to do the Marine Corps. And now I know. And, um, and I went to college for a little while um, because I thought like, you know, I got to go to college. I got to, serve this mission. I went to BYU, um, which is a terrible place. And so was your family Mormon? Yes. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So, yeah. And I get, and I get why they would want you to go on a mission and, and all that. And you probably gave up a a good potential career in some three letter agency, uh, by (laughs) by not doing that. and, And the Mrs. Cool. Agency, like the MRS Agency, because that's the only agency that's acceptable in Mormon culture to work. Well, I, I, well I guess as a woman, I guess that's right. I guess that's right. Yeah, there's a. I think there's a, a strong subculture of Mormons in various three-letter agencies because they go on missions, so they become culturally adept. They have language skills oh, if they're yeah. fit. And on top of it, or have any military background, then you know there, there's an awful lot. I, I think I talked about this with Charlie, um, who you know, Charlie Faint. Um, I, I said if you ever want a great career in any number of three-letter agencies, be either Muslim or Mormon. That just gives you such a leg up in terms oh, yeah. of language skills and cultural awareness and all that. If you want that kind well, of career, but well, most Mormons, like I mean, if you're yeah. like a practicing Mormon, generally you don't drink. Generally, you don't gamble. Right. You don't. You don't participate you can pass in a your lot poly. of habits. That's right. You sure. pass your poly, and you can, and you have all these language skills. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, I'm sorry, I, mean, I interrupted. So yeah. So, oh no, no, no. So it's this totally was fine. I million tangents. <laughs> no, it's no. It's you're pretty on point. <laughs> um, so 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 you did honor their wishes initially. You were like, okay, I'll go to college. I'll play this game a little bit before yeah, you well, enter the Marines. I wanted to go to art school and I got into a couple of different art schools, but the thing about art school is they're very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So BYU is the only school that I could really afford to go to without having to take out loans. Um, and so I, I did that for a couple of semesters. And then finally my last semester, I was faced with loans for the first time and you know, at 19 years old, I'm like, uh, I have to pay all these back at some point. And it was super uncomfortable for me. And I decided, well, cause my original goal was to go be an officer. Right. And I, I'd even met and sat down with the, the officer recruiter for Salt Lake. And I came to the realization, 
realization in my last semester that uh, it may be just time for me to enlist um, because I, number one, need a paycheck. And number two, this is already mm-hmm. where I wanted to go anyways. And I started, I mean, this is thinking about it now, like, I guess in the context of my life, it didn't seem like, you know, the most life-changing decision, but back then um, I was like rearranging every expectation that I had of myself and that my parents had of me. And at that point in my life, that was my entire world. And so it was kind of yeah. earth shattering yeah. to, to say, well, no, I think I'm going to enlist in six. It meant that I wasn't going to you know, serve a mission later. It meant that I was immediately going to go into this world that I really had no understanding of. Um, and I, I'll be honest, had no preparation for either. And then I got in touch with the enlisted recruiter and we did it. We just did it. Did you tell your parents before you went in? Yeah, I did. The wonderful thing about um, telling your parents things as an adult when you don't live with them is they can't really tell you no. So. Yeah. But how? To, I bet that wasn't a, you didn't get a totally warm reception to the idea, right? Oh, gosh, no. Did they try to talk you out of it? Yeah, I got some sternly worded emails um, about uh, how they believed that it was going to disrupt my ability to be a wife and a mother and, and all that stuff. and. They were deeply disappointed about it. So. Wow. Um, spoiler alert, did that change? Uh, well, I have been a wife and I have been a mother, so that didn't really change. But um, but did their opinion of it change? Did now they look back and go, okay, yeah, I guess that kind of worked out okay? And uh, I mean, I recent events in my life have probably colored my opinion of my parents <laughs> more than my opinion of my parents was colored back then Mm. but they you know they they supported me well they wrote to me while i was in boot camp and they were like okay well you're gonna do this and and all that i think at the time they kind of squared themselves with the idea that i was just gonna do it for like one enlistment um and then i was probably gonna get out like most kids do uh, which is what happened um the decision that i made to get back in i think shook them a little bit harder than my first enlistment did Uh Um, just their realization that no mom it's not a phase right 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 was a little tougher for them to accept so you went when did you actually enlist for the first 2012 2012 yep and it was a four-year enlistment six-year enlistment what was it five years five years okay yeah we were the last class of I'm not going to out myself. Um, I was an MP. So we were the last class of MPs that went in to the Marine Corps with five-year contracts, which really was kind of irritating when the next class came in and they were like, you guys did five years? We had four. They're like, fuck you. (laughs) Did you, so because you were active, you didn't have a choice in your MOS, right? They assign it to you at the end of boot camp. Is that right? No, you get a, you get a choice. Oh, you do? Um, you do. I actually went in and I didn't realize that like the infantry was completely cut off to women at the time. And that's actually what I went in and asked my recruiter for. And looking back, I can kind of be glad that like, that wasn't what I could do because I was not prepared physically to do that. And I don't think my recruiter was prepared to tell me that, like you need to be in way better shape, but, uh, my recruiter was actually an MP 
And he said, look, if you go to a field unit, you'll probably get to do some really cool stuff, which is actually true. Um, and he was like, I think you'll get a lot of very similar fulfillment for what you want out of the Marine Corps out of this job. So I wound up signing an, an MP contract and, um, I, I met my recruiter later at my last duty station. He was working there too. And he's really? a fantastic guy. I really liked him. He was, he was a good person. And I was glad to meet him later in my career and be like, Hey, thank you for your advice. Thank you for this, you know, this contract. Cause it worked out for me. It was, it was a great time. How was that? How, how was he towards you? Was he, do you remember you? Was he like, Oh shit. I'm oh yeah, he out. did. Oh, I think cool. it surprised him a little bit. Cause I was, well, I was in better shape too when, you know, when I met him yeah, at the end of my right, enlistment, but right. I also met him the last year of my contract. I decided, uh, I got married about the halfway through my contract since the last year I was in, um, we decided to have our first kid because that was when we were on insurance. Um, mm. so we're kind of in a weird moment where it's like, well, we can get pregnant now and have a baby with insurance or we cannot. So the last year on my contract, I spent in the best unit of my contract, which shout out to SES Battalion on Pendleton. At the time I was there, so 2016 to 2017, had a fantastic command from CO all the way down. And my, my old recruiter was the training company gunny. Okay. I think he was a gunny at the time and he was in the training company. So I think that's what he did. Um, but yeah, he would come over to our office. He, and, and sit down and chat with us. Great dude. So what, before we dive into everything that happened in that enlistment, what triggered you to get out then? Because it seems like you were already planning an exit four years in to that enlistment. Yeah. Um, was it the family and just the, you have kids and the logistics become too difficult? Well, no, I think it was, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to like re up. I was really leaning towards staying in. And I think, um, I think if I hadn't gotten pregnant, I would have pushed harder to stay in. Um, but my husband at the time, he had already separated. He'd gotten out, uh, right when we got married. And so he was kind of dicking around in California going to school and, working but he wanted to go to texas a&m because he wanted to get an engineering degree and he was like just bound and determined that's where he had to go and i i didn't like get a lot of push i didn't give a lot of pushback because i didn't really know what i wanted to do and he was kind of like all right well if your mind's not made up then this is what we're gonna do and it took me a long time to really warm up to the idea, but, um, I think if I hadn't gotten pregnant my last year in, um, I would have pushed harder to reenlist because I was in a wonderful unit. And I think that really changed my look, my outlook on what the Marine Corps can be and how you can, you know, as an individual can make more positive change in the organization and in your unit. Um, and especially as an MP, because uh, if I had re-enlisted then, I would have re-enlisted as an MP and I would have tried to do uh, like CID um, mm-hmm. or something like that uh, because I was, I was really enjoying it. I enjoyed 
my job on the garrison side, doing the PMO stuff, being, you know, just a, a, a cop on base. I enjoyed that a lot. And I also enjoyed the field unit um, experience. So, you know, the, the deployment type training um, that we would do. So I really got to know my job and got to love it. And then I got out because my husband wanted to move to Texas. So he said without any resentment at all. Yeah. (laughs) I'm seeing your face like change all sorts of colors. Uh, Okay. So let's, let's unpack the first enlistment a little bit um, and then we'll come back to when you separated. So the first Mm -hmm. enlistment, where was your first duty station? Japan. Oh, okay. Iwakuni, Japan. And you liked it? Oh, the first year was tough. I think because, you know, it's my first year in the fleet and I was an absolute shithead. And I mean, I was just, I, I would make mistakes in my job. I would make mistakes personally, just one after another. And thankfully, I never did anything that I got caught for that got me in JP or Article 15 or whatever you guys call it. Could, could something could something have gotten you NGP'd? Had people known? 100%. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I just you know the stuff that I did get caught for was usually the stuff that was like on shift, and that was never really bad enough to get you know punished for, uh, other than you know some good old fashioned mass punishment for a whole platoon. But I mean, I just I had a really terrible sergeant for my first platoon, um, and I was in PMO over there. Iwakuni doesn't have a field unit, so it was all garrison stuff. Mm. Um, and so while I was trying to learn how to be a cop. I had a terrible sergeant who couldn't let go of like his deployments or whatever. I don't know. And did you deploy? Hey, did you, what, what no, I did, did not. You did you ever end no. up deploying? No, I did a couple of interesting things, but never like a, never like an actual deployment and never. Yeah. Um, I actually, when I got to the field unit in California, I, our company was not the one slated for the muse. So no. occasionally you'd have onesies and twosies go off for like a, a MAGTAF or like a PSD, right. but I never went to PSD course. So I was not the person that got chosen to go to those. So. And how does it work for the Marines? Do, are MPs generally, I mean, do you guys operate, do you deploy as a unit or do you deploy attached as onesies, twosies to another No, you unit? deploy attached as onesies, twosies, um, typically. So the LE battalions are actually stood up around like 2012. And I think they've since decided to disband them because we never deploy as a unit and there's Mm -hmm. no point in us deploying as a unit. Yeah. And uh, so it used to be that, you know, you'd be attached as a company to whatever unit and that's the company, that's the unit you deploy with. Right. Um, So even even on like the the battalion level, when they would have the battalion rotation and whatnot, they would just have one company that was chosen to do all of the muse for for that year. And if you had like you know, the muse that would go off in the the weird years or that weren't all in the same year, you'd have one other company that was like on their training cycle that would start sending people, and then you'd always have a company that was on the rest cycle. Okay. So then. Where's the writing in all this? Were you writing still? Did any, or, or were you like, hey, I got a hard gear shift to be a Marine and an MP, and my bandwidth is completely filled with that, and I have no time for anything else? 
yeah, I don't think I did a lot of writing uh, then. I in college I did a little bit. Um, I did. I mean, even in college, I kind of stopped doing a lot of the art stuff because my freshman year, I realized very quickly that I didn't want to do art for someone else, Mm. but I didn't want to like be a hired artist and have to put my vision in someone else's words. And I was like, okay, so that's not, that's not what I want to do with my life. So I changed my major to, uh, I think it was like international affairs. Wow. Um, with like an emphasis on Middle Eastern studies. And I only did that for like two semesters. And, you know, obviously then I, I withdrew and enlisted, but um, I kind of stopped doing a lot of artwork at that point in college. And I always think it was really funny because I failed my first drawing class in college and I am a pretty good artist. So there's no reason why I should have failed a drawing class is quit turning things in and well, that's the way to do um, it. Yeah. 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 I was trying to think about uh, how you could even fail in general. That's really about the best and only yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Great way to completely screw your GPA up for the next four years. If you're trying to go to school Yeah, of course. and, and so, I mean, in the Marine Corps, I didn't write as much, um, yeah. When did you start writing in the Marine Corps or did you, did it take, you to get out to start writing getting out yeah really i don't i don't remember a lot of times when i sat down and had time to write or ideas to write i kind of a lot of different directions i blossoming is the wrong term it's like a tree and i wasn't pruning the tree and i was just letting everything go and i don't you know back looking back that's not what i realized i was doing but that is what was happening and kind of exploring all of these different interests and things that I could do. And that happened a little bit in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out, that just exploded because I has, I had no direction and no idea what I really wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, I kept thinking like, well, I guess I could try the stay at home mom thing. And I guess I could homeschool my kids. And I guess I could have like 10 children or, you know, I guess I could start a business or I could, start like two businesses and all kinds of stuff just trying to put my my finger in as many pies as possible i guess until i finally realized that this isn't working and i really need to narrow down i need to trim the tree down and figure out what direction i actually want to go with in my life do you remember and i think that's when i started writing again yeah is that so how how what was the flash to bang with that how quickly did you start did you get to that revelation after you got out was that something that was happening in your first year out or was that something that like even took you a couple of years to unpack and to kind of get to that place oh it took me a couple of years um i'd say 2019 wow 2019. Yeah. I think 2019, I kind of toyed with the idea of doing the reserves after, um, I had my son, um, and then I got pregnant with my daughter in 2018 and I had her early part of 2019. And I think that's when I first started going back to the gym and I actually got into fitness and like learning about fitness and learning about your body and all that stuff. 
And that was really the big push for me because somebody wasn't telling me to do it. I was doing it for myself. Um, and I mean, I worked hard in 2019 and I was like, okay, so I, I'm going to try and go into the reserves. And I thought like, you know, maybe I'll go into the army because my husband's in the army reserves now. And, um, you know, just kind of, once again, you know, we're pruning the tree just a little bit, but not enough. Cause I kept thinking like, well, you know, I can do, you know, an army career. I can do the reserves and I can, I was, I was owning a business at the time and trying to make that work. And I was like, well, I can keep that going and I can also go to school and I can do some other things. And, um, so I was kind of getting to the place that I needed to be the place where I was meant to be. And, um, and then my husband deployed and then he went to Kuwait and 2020 happened, which I mean, COVID didn't really affect us that much because I was living in Wyoming at the time. Um, nothing really affects Wyoming that much. Right. <laughs> Until that big volcano that's underground out there finally erupts and then Wyoming yeah. will finally have something traumatic to deal with but up until then but they won't have right. to deal with it why am i gonna just be gone that's right they'll be gone yeah, it'll be quick <laughs> and you don't have to do anything <laughs> yeah that's true um so that was when you that was when suddenly everything kind of came into conflict because now your husband's gone but you know what you want to do but you're now you yeah. got to be homebound yep and so the and not right, just homebound homebound in my parents basement is that where the writing started? That feels like that's where the writing would start. I feel like that's where a lot of the writing started. Because that seems like that'd be a proper safety valve at that point to stop you <laughs> for your head from exploding. Well, I um, I can't remember if I'd really started writing before or after, but I think it was probably after, um, like writing again. And you know, there were probably poems here and there over the years, but never anything like what I'm doing now, where I like really sat down and thought about it. And I was like, okay, this is really how I need to be making sense of my experiences because this works. And I knew that back in high school, but I lost it. I was just so busy. And I think maybe that's part of the problem with allowing the tree to just become too overgrown. Yep. And I wasn't yep. pruning it back. And I, I didn't have energy to do any of those things. Yeah. And I didn't have energy to cope or I didn't have energy to, make sense of everything I was going through. So I love um, that analogy. I love that, that, that analogy that you have of pruning the tree back. That makes yeah. so much sense to me that it's just this overgrown tree and it's too much shit to unpack. It's too much stuff to sift through. Mm -hmm. It's like, you just haven't been tending to it. Yeah. And you got to you. And, and there is a bit of, I think there's a bit of more than therapeutic value to art in being able to prune a tree back because it's the ultimate version of unpacking and thinking through an experience. Mm -hmm. If you can't write art about it, you clearly haven't thought enough about it to get to. So kind right. of being able to encapsulate it artistically seems like a really good form of catharsis. Why poetry? Was that just what came to you or why, why was that the medium that this took? I think because poetry, um, for me is the perfect way to encapsulate an idea or an experience in a quick way. And part of that right now is just logical 
and that I don't have time to sit down and write pages and pages, but also just the way that I think, I don't always think the whole thing all the way through the whole thought all the way through that sometimes it is just one line here and there, one idea that I can then build off. And you have a whole poem that's about that. Um, actually the last class, the class that I just came from, um, we're talking about poetry and film and, uh, we we're studying. It's, it's called, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the class because the way I refer to it, like in my planner, when I, when I block out my day as Soviet films or commie films. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, it's all like films from like the Soviet block and really? in the sixties. Yes. Jesus. Some strange stuff. Yeah. And the film that we studied this week was called the color of pomegranates, which is a film by a, uh, Russian or Soviet, uh, I think he's actually Georgian, um, filmmaker who identifies himself as a poet, but he is a cinematographer and it's the po the, the film is about an 18th century poet, um, Syed Nova from the same area. He's Armenian. And this whole film is an ode to this poet. And that's the way that the film is done. There is no storyline. It's not linear. Hmm. It's chronological, but it's not like a linear story at all. Um, and the film is all done in like these uh, kind of miniatures, like these tableaus. So it's still camera work. You know, you're not moving through shots. It's like either a close up or a far away shot. And you just see this tableau. That's it. And very strange, very difficult to follow. If you don't know anything about these people, you have no idea what the film is about. Um, but it was something that, you know, I was pondering as I read the essay of the filmmaker and read or watched the film um, was that poetry is really about, I, to me, it's not necessarily about telling a full story. It's about talking about an idea. It's about talking about an experience. And that's all that it, needs to be it doesn't have to be the whole picture and it doesn't even have to be like the picture that always stays with you you know there's a lot of my poems that are just about that moment in time specifically and it's not it doesn't have to carry through for the rest of my life like it can stay where it is right so i think for poetry for me poetry works that's it comes naturally i don't have to force it it's there that makes a ton of sense. It also seems like it is a very efficient art form because it doesn't require a ton of time. Super and efficient. I, I, I'm <laughs> kicking myself. I wish I'd been writing poetry when I was in and when I was deployed because I think that would have helped a lot. And, it, and I didn't realize how little time it would have taken. Um, I got to just ask about the class. Why did you take that class? Why did you take a, a, a Soviet film, a class on Soviet films of the 1960s? Because I'm a Russian language major and it's one of the Russian classes that's taught in uh, English. Oh, <laughs> got you. Got I'm a, you. I have to take uh, 300 and 400 level classes because uh, anything else doesn't count for credit or for elective credits. So I have to take higher level electives now. And the pickings are very slim in the Russian department for what's taught in English. And 
that was one of them. So that's awesome. Okay. And I All will right. have to take another class by her again, which is like even more narrow. Next semester, <laughs> she teaches like Soviet films, like specifically Russian film same like time period not like all of the soviet bloc it's just specifically soviet films wow wow looking forward to a lot more communist propaganda yeah seriously wow that's freaking cool so i know because you and i had talked um when you came up here for vet rep um about your future ambitions and Mm -hmm. i'm assuming I'll, i'll give the spoiler out for everybody i'm assuming you still see your dream job of being a platoon sergeant in the Marines, right? Yeah. So where does all this fit in? Where does the, does the Russian language fit into that? Are you like, yeah, that's going to be a valuable skill set to have, or was there something about it that appealed to you? Where does the poetry fit in with this? It seems like you have a lot of disparate threads that aren't neatly tucked up into the job description of a platoon sergeant in the Marine Corps in an MP unit. (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't ever intend to go back to the MPs. Um, so I, I enjoyed that job and had I re-enlisted it, you know, when I separated, I would have gone back to the MP field, but I don't want to go back now. Um, my goal when I go back in is to go back in, in the O3 field and hopefully just be the standard O311. I know that's not how that works. Um, you, they kind of pick and choose for you in that field, but um, that's what I would really like. I don't want to do anything like crazy special. Um, I would prefer to just go back in, be a conventional dude. Um, and so how do all the rest of, how do all these other threads fit in? Where, what, what purpose do they serve? Where do you see that lining up in your life or do they, are they just outliers? Well, the Russian language, um, I didn't really intend on going back to college after I got my associates. I have an associates in criminal justice. Um, because I was an MP and I did not have to buy any books in order to get that degree. So it was fantastic. <laughs> and I got, you know, paid because it's GI bill. Um, but after I did that, I was like, well, I got a ton of GI bill left. Cause I even, I, I'd taken a lot of college classes before. So, um, I didn't use hardly anything up on my GI bill to get that associates. And I was kind of like, well, what do I use it for? You know? I mean, I have it forever now, which is awesome. Right. But I was kind of toying around with the idea. I really enjoy doing ceramics and taking some ceramics classes. And I was thinking, well, you know, that's an expensive hobby, but it's a whole lot cheaper if you're doing it for a degree and Jabil pays you to go. So sure. kind of thinking about that, you know, thinking about, well, what kind of fun things can I do at community colleges? Um, kind of just, I had no desire or need to get a bachelor's degree. I do not want to commission I don't want to do any of that. And I thought like, well, I could learn Russian for the military and get paid more. Um, Cause if you're fluent, if you're very fluent, you can get like 500 extra dollars a month for Russian. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Um, no real affinity to like Russia for me or even like family history from Russia. Like there's nothing, but Russian sounded better than Chinese. So a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of toyed around with the idea of like where I could learn that. And then, um, after Wyoming, we moved to Maryland. So we're very close to UMD and 
I kind of looked at what UMD's programs were and I was like, Oh, look at that. They teach Russian. So, um, it's a really small department, but it's a pretty decent one. So that's, that's the Russian story. So hopefully it will pay me better. And also just financially right now, like makes a lot more sense for me to just go to school. Yep. Um, Yep. That's fair. That makes total sense. So then where do you see yourself? Because I, and obviously I have a little bit of a ulterior motive, not a ton of one, but a little bit of one, because I mean, you're clearly a talented writer. Um, and there's no law saying you can't do a full 20 year career in the Marine Corps and then go on mm-hmm. to be a prolific writer after that. But there also is something about, um, you know, it's funny when I was talking with Luke Ryan on this show a while ago, he said, you know, he, he brought up that idea that ideas you know, kind of come at the right time for them to be birthed and kind of mm-hmm. when they're coming up, it's just, that's the time to execute. And sometimes you kind of miss it. Sometimes those ideas, if you don't capitalize on them, then they go and they won't come back. And that doesn't necessarily need to be a tragedy because another idea may come along and that might be mm-hmm. another right one at the right, at a better time. And, but it'll be different. It won't be the same. It won't be that, that moment you had. It's why when I try to go back and write, finish stories that I started you know, a decade or two ago, it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's just at that yeah. time my life has passed. So um, if I have any ulterior motive, that's, that's what it is. Um, when I ask where you see your writing fitting in or what your plans are with it and where you see yourself going with that at any point now in the near future or in the distant future. Well, I think right now, like it's, um, it's something that I've been able to capitalize on. It's something that has put me in touch with a community. So it's a little bit harder to just put away on a shelf again. So it's, and I think that's part of the thing when you, when you start doing things and getting into new habits or new um, hobbies, when you start doing things with a community, it's a lot easier to stick with it and keep that as a part of your life. Sure, um, sure. Which is what I would hope and the way that writing has made me feel over the last year has helped me work through a lot of different facets of who I am and how I came to terms with those things. And I don't know, it just feels like, you know, on some level, it's not going away again and that it'll always be there. And, you know, as an adult, I can look back and say like, you know, as a child, like these things were just kind of things I was exploring, but as an mm-hmm. adult, I'm like, this is, this is a part of my life now, um, in a way that it never really was before. Um, that's fair. So I think it'll, it'll always be something that's there. Um, I think right now in the near future, I'd really just like to get that book finished. <laughs> How far into it are you? I guess I don't know. I don't know when it'll be done. I'll know it's done when it's done. And that's um, when you feel like that theme has been played out to the end. Is yes. Really okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I talked about it before um, at the vet rip event. I feel like that is probably a question that you're going to ask me later. So I'll just answer it now. Sure. Um, what it's about. Um, I, don't, I don't want you to have to spoil anything. I know, I know there's, <laughs> you know, sometimes there's magic and holding off on that. But yeah, if you want to. No, I, I feel like there it's not a spoiler. Um, 
it's, I guess, because it's not like a linear story. It's, you know, snapshots of experiences. So there's nothing to really spoil about it. Um, but being feminine was never really something that like I thought about, about myself, um, my whole life and growing up. Um, and I've joked a lot, especially when I was living with my parents that I was the son that my dad wishes that he'd had and has always been just maybe a little bit disappointed that I turned out to be a girl. Um, cause there's a lot of times we're very similar, me and my dad, and he would forget. I think sometimes we would talk, we'd get really excited about things that I want to do in my life. We'd like, Oh yeah, this is really cool. And we'd see eye to eye on stuff. And then I think my dad would like see me with my kids and back off and he'd be like, wait a minute, you're a girl. And it was always, it was always a little funny for me. It's a little sad now, but, um, being feminine was never really something that I explored, especially in the context of being a Marine. Um, it was a big disconnect for me as a mother and a lot of like my, I had a lot of postpartum issues after I had my daughter. Um, it was really strange for me to adjust to the idea of being the mother of a daughter, um, in ways that weren't strange for me to adjust when I had my son who came first. Um, and I think especially the year of 2020 and raising this baby who was beginning to experience personality. And I think it really kind of hit me like this child is going to be me. She's going to be a carbon copy of me. And anyone who sees us is like, well, that kid really is like, just like you. And I was not necessarily scared of that, but I love it. I love it so much. And I think it's because I like myself and I'm <laughs> who I am. And so when I was like, oh, my daughter's going to be like me. And I was like, this is awesome. And it made me think about womanhood in ways that I'd never really thought about it before. And I was like, well, now I have to teach like this, this other, you know, person, you know, because when you're raising children, you're not really raising a child, you're raising an adult. And I'm raising this adult, this woman. And I had to think about like, well, what do I want to put into her? What am I going to, out of my own experience, how am I going to teach her how to be a woman in ways that I was never taught? How do I teach her about femininity? How do I teach her about all of these other things in my life that I hold very dear and are extremely personal? And that's what this book is. That's what these poems are. And it's looking at these feminine role models in ways that I'd never seen them before and realizing like the central idea, I think the seed that became this book started when I read Gates of Fire, Mm. um, which the Brova in me is not ashamed to admit changed my life. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But I loved that book. There's a chapter at the end where Leonidas is talking to his men about the courage of the women back home and he uses this term i mean well it's really stephen pressfield but um he talks about like the courage of a woman and how you know in some ways they're even more courageous than than us because we can go off and die we don't have to worry about anything after that but they you know have to worry about they have to suffer after we die and they're worrying about us right now and they're keeping everything together at home and i was like this is a load of shit this is total bullshit. Like 
and what a man thing to say. And I'm, (laughs) you know, because he gets to go off and fulfill every sense of his purpose in being the warrior. And I'm like, do you think none of the women felt that way? Like that they didn't feel like maybe they had a role to play and maybe it wasn't necessarily at home. And, and I, I thought a lot about myself and how, when I read Gates of Fire, I didn't relate to Leonidas's wife. I have never related to that woman or that type of woman. I've always related to the warrior, the Leonidas's, or maybe that's a little too grand, but like, no, 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 that's fair. The Spartan, you know, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I related to the, the Spartan foot soldier, not the wife of the Spartan foot soldier who stays at home with his children. And while being a wife and a mother are two very important parts of my life, they aren't everything. And they aren't the things that I, I guess, relate to the most. Um, and then I guess right around the time that I was reading Gates of Fire, I also discovered who Shannon Kent was. And I got so mad because when I found out who she was, uh, I wrote a poem about it. And it's like the only haiku that I've ever written. Um, and I, I think I can recite it. I think I remember it. Um, but it was all the women who have, who are, um, you know, I'm probably just gonna have to read no, no. it. Um, Go for but it. It was all the women who I want to be yeah. are already dead. And it just kind of sat with me that like this woman who had really done everything that I want to do, I can't even speak to. I can't ask her for advice. I can't ask her, you know, well, how did you manage it when you deployed and your children were babies? How did you manage all of these things? Because she died. Um, How did you manage being, you know, and actually were you a good wife? You know, how did you manage that relationship? How did you do all of these things? And then also fulfill the warrior inside of you. Um, and so a lot of the writing that I do is kind of to explore that for myself because I can't ask. You know, there's there's nobody to talk to about how you do that. Um, I mean, there it, are, but there, but it's just you can't. You have not have access. Yeah, that, that, that's a very rarefied. That's rarefied air. The people that are still yeah. doing that stuff and that are in those kind of special access programs and all that. I mean, that's few and far between, and that's not something you get that you know, you really get access to unless you're in that program and you happen right. to bump into them. That's right. Um, well, and I don't, I don't even know like a conventional infantryman who is a mom mm. or, I mean, you know, somebody, somebody who's worked in that area that um, that's doing it now because it's, you know, it's a recent field and most of the women who've gone in are young. Most aren't married. Most probably don't have kids. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's just a weird time. It's a weird position to be in where it's like, um, that was a line from one of the poems that I read the, the poem domesticated, mm-hmm. you know, what a time and a place to, to be alive as a woman where no one's going to tie me to the stake for doing all of these things or want to do all these things, right. but I can actually take advantage of these opportunities, but also what a time, because you really, you know, there's not a lot of people who did that before you. And to be fair, there's not a lot of women that even want to do that now. Right. I mean, you, you're, you are a relatively rare breed, wouldn't you say? Maybe. I guess that's 
maybe there's just not enough data. <laughs> there might not be. There might not be. I mean, I mean I'm, when you I'm start basic- giving people to permission to do certain things, right? You start figuring right. out that people have really wanted to do some. More people have wanted to do them all along and just never really did them. Sure, because and, it wasn't a viable option. We just don't know. Right. Yeah. That's no. That's fair. So I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, there's also the nature of being female. I mean, I'm not somebody who thinks that like, oh yeah, every woman wants to go out and you know go to the gym and be a warrior and all that stuff. Like right, this, right. That I mean, you're right. That's not super common among women. It's significantly more common among men. And you know, there's there's biological reasons for that. Sure. But there, but but your point is well taken, which is um I think that personal creed de core about, well, how do you actually execute that life yeah. if you're well, like you, you know, it, I mean, it, that, that is a life that doesn't have a lot of precedence and a lot of role models. And that's a, that's a very real thing. It's funny. I know with our, um, with my unit, uh, we, um, because we were a soft unit when women were first allowed in, I know that the rules came down from SOCOM that there had to be an E7 or above female in the unit first to mentor whatever younger women were getting in so that they would have a mentor so that there would be somebody that they could ask those questions to and have somebody that they can at least lean on. So, um, so they needed that E7 or above female to join first. And kind of pave the way and and be integrated into the unit and then allow the junior enlisted um, to join after. And uh, I didn't really think too much about the policy when they said that, but talking to you now, I see why that makes sense. Um, because there are, God knows, there's things that a guy just isn't going to be able to answer and answer to someone's satisfaction when you have those kind of questions. And 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 understandably so. I mean, those are it's funny. It, it's, I, I think it's one of the big not underreported. That's probably not the right word, but underappreciated aspects mm-hmm. of warriorship in general for men or women is the personal side. How do you balance family? How do you balance relationships? I mean, as you know, at, at the vet rep event, you know, a lot of our poetry was about interpersonal relationships from both male and female sides, because it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. You're going in one direction and it's, um, I mean, God knows, you know, there's, um, I know, I know for me, it was very much that way. It was like, I, you kind of have to balance it. I either do the career or I do the family, mm-hmm. but you can't, it's tough to do both. And it's definitely tough to do both, um, at a high level. Um, sure. and it is weird. And when you look at the people that have successfully navigated it, I don't know if you follow Tom Satterley on Instagram, mm-hmm. He's a former uh, Delta SAR major who now does a, um, uh, I don't want to speak too much for him because I, I don't, I haven't looked into it enough to really articulate what he does uh, super well. But my general idea is that he, he has, uh, he does, he and his wife do a lot of counseling of couples and of kind of warrior rehabilitation um, mm-hmm. for from a family perspective and talking about their own experience as a couple and dealing with his deployment op tempo and you know what that all looked like and how they how they manage that as a couple and um there's definitely attention being paid to it now uh, and probably not enough 
But I think that's an underappreciated aspect of warriorship is that you, you can't be Steven Seagal for too long. You can't go out and just kick ass, kick ass, kick ass. At some point, there has to be some panacea, some, some uh, reprieve from that. And what do you come home to? And I think that's where you get your 22 a day and where you get a lot of this other stuff happening is where it's like, well, you know, what's your fallback position? Well, what do you have behind you? Sure. And yeah, that's, that's a, I mean, I'm not saying anything too profound. I'm, I'm mostly just reiterating what you're saying, but, but I mean, that's, yeah, I, it, it's a, I'm trying to think if I, I'm trying to think out loud and see if anything actually novel is coming to my mind. It really isn't, but <laughs> I think you're identifying a problem that's going to become more and more um, pertinent. Are you getting kicked out of the parking lot, by the way? Oh, no. It's just the sun is going down. So I'm okay. my sun visor. No worries. I'm, I'm aware we're pushing it. So if you need to bounce, let me know. No, uh, nobody's you know, coming up. up to talk to me. So Okay. Bitching. Okay. Well, well, we'll push it a little bit more um, only because uh, I, mean, I could seriously do hours. So I'll leave it on the rent-a-cop that's patrolling the UMD parking lot to end this for us. But nice. here's um, one thing I wanted to ask you about in your poetry that I, a theme that I see come up again and again is God, um, mm-hmm. which I think is, I just wanted to touch on for a second and just check in with you about that and what that, what God means to your poetry. It seems like it is very much a Yahweh character. Like it's, it's a God that is, that has been both a malevolent, a malevolent and benevolent character in your life at certain times, there's kind of like always a shaking of fist and gnashing of teeth, uh, you know, yelling at the sky kind of a- approach to him. Is that fair or am I missing something with that? No, I think that's fair, but I also think you're missing something. Um, <laughs> Go for it. So growing up, I had this idea of um, not necessarily what God wanted me to be but who my parents said that god Mm. wanted me to be and what my church said that god wanted me to be and i think it's very easy um when you're young to to not listen uh really and to think that that's right and to think like okay well i must accept this because that's what everyone around me in this community is telling me that god wants for me and then as I got a little older, I started thinking that's not really how I feel. Um, and I feel very strongly that God has been with me every step of my journey. Mm. Um, and that he'll continue, continue to be with me. Um, and I guess I would identify myself as a, as a Christian. Um, and through my whole journey in exploring the beginnings of my Mormon religion and then you know, getting very deep into that later in high school and then pulling away from that church when I started in the Marine Corps and then going back into that church very strongly when I got married. And then now in my life where I'm pulling away again, and I think I'm pulling away for, you know, better reasons or right reasons. Um, through all of that, really my belief in Christ and my belief in God as, you know, my heavenly father, heavenly parent, whatever, um, has gotten stronger and has really kind of been uh, reinforced through that whole journey of faith and, and testimony and what I believe. And um, I think partly because I'm more confident with what his voice sounds like to me mm. mm-hmm. and less confident in what, 
listening to someone else tell me what his voice should sound like or or any of those things and saying, well, no, I know this and it's not really up to anybody else to tell me because that's personal. And I think um, I discovered that I wasn't alone um, in thinking that way, Uh, talking to other women in my age group, um, you know, other young moms that were maybe members of the the LDS church, the Mormon church. and, you know, even women outside, even women in the Marine Corps, um, who were also doing very similar family things, but also had come to terms with that warrior aspect of themselves. And I went on the, the strength retreat with Patrol Base Abate, um, which is, you know, another veterans organization. And I'm in their strength club. And when I went to the strength retreat, Oddly enough, our retreat, which is out in Montana, and they pay for you to go on these retreats. Really awesome. So it's my shameless plug there. Also, I'm the DC chapter head. So if anybody's in DC, come on, hang. There we go. Um, no, <laughs> plug away, plug away. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, yeah, but, we can, we can give them a shout out. Yeah. So while I was out in Montana, um, getting the crap kicked out of me, I was there with two other women um, who were both out of the Marine Corps. And both of them were wives and both of them were mothers. Mm. And they both had two completely different experiences in the Marine Corps. They were both older than me and they were wonderful human beings. I know we, we look at women in the military and we think like they're all competing with each other or they, they almost hate each other. You know, you're either a bitch or you're a whore, which is what my drill instructor literally told me in boot camp. Um, and I met these women and I, I try to go into meeting other women in the military open-minded because I know that there's that stigma there that we put on each other and I hate it. And I hated it the whole time I was in. And, you know, since getting out, um, I've tried very hard not to be that way to other women. Um, and so I went in there open mind, but still maybe a little nervous. I was like, well, I think that way, but she might not think that way. So right, right, there might right, be some right. conflict. And there was nothing, there was none of that. And it was awesome. And, um, I, uh, I kind of forgot where I was going with that train of thought. You might have to bring me back for a minute. No, it's all right. I know. I mean, I know. Listen, I mean, you're good. I, it's funny because I was, um, doing some reading, uh, for, uh, with, uh, some of Lanny Hankins books, um, who, again, I met on Instagram, who's former army, uh, female, obviously, and, um, had a really rough time in the military. And I won't spoil too much of her experience because we'll probably have her on the show at some point, but, um, but she's become a poet and, a, and an author and written a bunch of books about some of the sexual assaults she went through and then just kind of the demeaning aspect. And one of the, one of the things she talked about in her book, um, that I was reading was, uh, the uh the way women turned on each other and i i think the nature of my military service i i really wasn't around very many women very often there was kind of a two-year period where i was kind of transitioning into the guard where i was in a unit where there were women and and i was around them but we weren't doing anything and it was mostly administrative so uh, you know it was it, it could have been an office job at that point um so i i didn't really have a lot to to I didn't have a lot of stuff to back that up or a lot of experience firsthand with it, but I thought her take on it was interesting to me that she felt 
that women were constantly at each other's throats and she had no backup with other women in the military. So it's interesting to hear you say that as well. Um, because that's not what I would have thought. Uh, and it's interesting to hear what that um, experience has been like. Because I think, yeah, I mean, it, I, I also, this is also where my military experience runs into a dead end because I just, I, I have a lot of blind spots in my military experience where I just, there's a lot of things I just don't know. Um, I, well, and, I mean, I don't know. think anyone would expect you to understand that aspect. I mean, and it, well, I think I'm, some... I'm also thinking about deploy, like most of my time was spent deployed and it's mm-hmm. a different environment. So it's just like, I didn't, I, I hated garrison. That's why I was in the guard. I never wanted to be garrison. I was like, I will deploy every single year as long as I don't have to be in the garrison. So I did. Um, and so as a result, it just, I, I don't know, like there was never like downtime where people are just chilling or like, how do people act mm-hmm. on weekends and time off? Like that just wasn't a thing for me. So I don't have a lot to, to back that up with, but anyway, so I'm, I'm filibustering until you get your train of thought back, no, mostly, it's, it's but cool. also I've got yeah. it. I think okay. I've got, you got it where All I was right. going. Cool. <laughs> Cause when I met these women, I, uh, I realized that they had like a lot of the same feelings about faith and God and, mm. and then it wasn't so much pressure from, I guess your religious organization to perform in a specific role, but that it was, you know, much more personal than that. Um, and so I guess it's, you know, my ideas about God and the malevolence, you know, is kind of, I guess, directed at the, the idea of God and the idea of religion that was projected on me, um, from a very, very young age. Um, and the benevolence of God that you see in my poetry is, I definitely think the true idea that I've the true personal relationship that I now experience with, with God. I want to underscore something that I see that because of what that brings up in your writing. Um, and I, I just want to underscore it because less it not be said and less not be said overtly. I hope you understand how rare that is and how rare your writing is. Um, if I was a Hollywood producer making a movie about you, I would have skipped right over that. It would have gone completely from got it. Mormon, disobeyed the parents, uh, hard pivot to the Marine Corps, done wrong, you know, uh, now trying to get back in or something like that. It would have been a very much more two-dimensional take. The fact that you articulate in an artistic way um, that evolution in your faith and that evolution in how that's played out in your life and the stripping away of artifice, that stripping away of third parties' interpretation of God to you, and it's not necessarily the point of your writing, but that's, that it's there, that it's a, mm-hmm. it's an element of it, I think is exceptionally rare. You just don't see that very often. That's a level of nuance that I think a lot of people would gloss over otherwise. And um, I'm just foot stomping that because I think, I think that's important. I think that's an interesting color that you just don't see written about very often. So I just want to foot stomp that. A huge part of my life, especially now, um, I no longer speak to my parents, um, which has been relatively recent um, in my life. And I think part of the catalyst was they they haven't yet um, come to terms with me not wanting to be Mormon um, or at least taking a step back from that church as a religious organization. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think it's very, very difficult for them to accept the lack of desire to belong to that church or participate in that church um, in, I guess, their approved way. And then they have not yet come to terms with the idea that I can still have a desire to be Christian mm. and have a desire to believe in God. Um, I think my opinion, and again, I haven't spoken to my parents in quite some time, so I can't speak for them, but I, I think really they're, they're all or nothing kind of people. And they, um, they've been that way a lot of my growing up years and less so my adult years simply because I don't live near them, but I lived with them for the whole year of 2020 and it brought up a lot of conflict between us and how we had really changed. And there was a lot of things that um, I had to realize I was doing that was disappointing my parents. And then I had to be like, well, do I actually want to stop doing those things or do I like myself? And am I okay with that in my life? And do I actually want to do this? And the answer is I'm okay with disappointing my parents because I've seen what makes them cheer. (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm, I have come to terms with and they um, haven't. And I don't know if they ever will, but I'm also not terribly worried about it. So. Have you always liked yourself or was that, was that a process to get to that place? I think I probably always liked myself in some capacity, which is why it's hard to look back at my old journals because I'm like, I can't believe you liked yourself back then. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like really, this was it. <laughs> But that shows a lot of mental resilience, though, too, like that the, you were always comfortable with who you are. That probably made you very, that probably kept your eyes very open and very kept you in the present. There wasn't a lot of regret. There wasn't a lot of self-incrimination, self-recrimination, anything like that that would bog you down and would allow you to pivot and make life choices and, and push forward. I don't know. I'm, I'm being a pop psychologist right now, but uh, that, I mean, that seems. No, I don't. I don't like sitting in that uncomfortable space. And I have always been really conscious of that. Um, that pull to change when something needs to be changed. Mm. Um, and when those periods happen in my life, um, that period after I had my daughter and I, I was going through some very deep postpartum depression and I mean, I think I'd had it after I had my son, but I never really manifested the same way. After I had my son, I dealt with a lot of anxiety. Mm. Um, and then after I had my daughter, it was just like, you know, that, that sadness, that elephant on your chest every single day. And then I started going to the gym and, you know, that's, I, I drugged myself with endorphins and serotonin and, you know, a little bit of weight loss. And I was like, I feel fantastic. And I can't stop. And, uh, in 2020, it was really difficult to keep that up because, um, because me going to the gym necessitated my mother watching my children for me. Uh, And if I wasn't at home watching my own children, then I was being a bad mother. (laughs) So there was, there was a lot of conflict there. And, um, has only gotten worse even after moving away. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting because it kind of underlines why your moniker is squat rack poet. Like that actually yeah. really means something. If you've been criticized for t- daring to take the time to work out, 
And well, yeah, I mean, and, and just working out, I mean, I think if I was taking like Pilates or something, that'd be acceptable because that's an acceptable woman oh, workout, but it's, I enjoy getting in there and being strong and just being ridiculously strong. And I'm not ridiculously strong yet, but I want to get there and I want to do the work to get there. And I want to be, I mean, my boobs have, you know, exhausted their purpose on this earth. Um, and if I were just to bench enough to turn those into massive into pure pecs, muscle, yeah, yeah, just I mean, could you imagine how impressive that would look? You, you just want like, you want Russian Russian female <laughs> bodybuilder pecs, like yeah, yeah. probably yeah. probably not very like feminine attractive, right, but right. like, could you imagine how many pull ups I could do? <laughs> like, could you imagine the push ups? Could you imagine I could walk into the room and I could bench one thirty five for a warm up, and that's that's the kind of working out that I love and I want to do. And it makes me feel good. Um, yeah. And, and so it's funny. Cause I see that now as part of your holistic regimen. That's kind of like all it is to answer myself before, when I asked like, how much does that detract from your writing? That actually is part of the holistic regimen of all the stuff you have going on because it answers. It seems like it answers so many criticisms that you have of your situation. It's like, Oh, well, Hey, I can be strong. Hey, I can go work out. I don't have to do Pilates. I can do this and still do X, Y, and Z and add all these other things on. What, tell me about your workouts. What do you do? Do you CrossFit? Do you just do strength training? What is it that you do? Uh, a little, a little bit of both. I think, um, where do you get your programming from? Let's start there. Uh, so I've done some programming with softly. Um, mm-hmm which I think is a wonderful app. Um, I think it's better if you're already pretty in shape. Um, so that's my little review for it. Uh, I wouldn't recommend softly to somebody who's just starting out. Uh, I think they'd get way too lost, which is what happened to me when I was kind of just starting out. I used softly. And I got too lost. Their nutrition uh, plan on it though is awesome. Um, I actually haven't seen it. I like, should go on that. I'll be interested to see what it's like. It's really good. And you can like portion things and they do all the macros, all the calorie counting for it. And you can kind of adjust your levels and you can, uh, it's really easy to structure a recipe for meal planning, which is why I like it a lot. Um, but then I, when I started going to the gym again out here in Maryland, um, I signed up for uh, like group coaching classes and those are much more like CrossFit style, um, which I am a people person. I enjoy being around people. Um, I know that's a really weird thing to hear somebody say because I never hear somebody say that. Um, they're mm. usually like, oh, I'm an introvert and I hate being around people. and I'm exhausted. Whatever. Maybe that's just my generation. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's not even my generation. Cause I'm around a lot of like 18 year old college kids who think it's really cool to like hate other people. Weird, weird group of kids, but I, I enjoy going to the gym and like talking to people that I see on a regular basis, talking to the coaches and it gives me accountability. So I do like coaching sessions, um, usually with like a group and yeah, it's like just circuit workouts and stuff, uh, which is also good for cardio because I don't do a lot of cardio on my own. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, I see the squat rack pictures. I'm like, I don't know. Is she running a mile, two miles, three miles? I don't know. Uh, I do need to do like just genuine running. Um, cause it is the one thing that's been missing. It is also, I think like the hardest thing to work into my workouts because 
you know, there's an element of who's going to watch my children. Well, at the gym, they have a daycare at the gym. Oh, so gotcha. it's, you know, that is the necessity. They get to play with other kids. I get to work out. We get back in the car. We go run our errands. That's our day. You can't just put, you um, can't just jump on a treadmill or something. Oh, I can go jump on a treadmill, but I hate the treadmill. Why would I use the treadmill when there's weights? Got you. So you're well, why would I do that? And you have no the road is free. I like I have to I pay to use the weights. The road's free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, I, so I would, would prefer like running in the neighborhood if I go for a run. Yeah, I could see that. Sure. But you would work out even if you weren't trying to get back in the Marines, right? At this yeah, point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if not just to feel better about myself, to you know, do competitions. Like, I think, you know, if I were to go do strongman or, you know, powerlifting competitions, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I would really love to do that. But, I mean, right now I really work out. I do a lot of the same, you know, kind of powerlifting workouts. Like, today, today was leg day. Squats. Um, I, I do fifth set for most of my big lifts. So fifth set for my squats. And then we did like a super set of uh, split squats with Romanian deadlifts. And then I did, I climbed the rope. Um, I didn't have a ton of time. So after I did my warmups, um, and cool downs, I did a rope climb three times. Gotcha. So gotcha. <laughs> did, you, did you rest in between or you climb, you touch the ground and go right back up again? Uh, the first two times I kind of touched the ground, but the last climb I had to take a little breather. <laughs> so, um, I think our first poem that we ever published of yours was callous, mm -hmm. um, which had that, which I loved because first off it was on brand for you as squat rack poet, because it was about calluses. And then of course, you know how you anthropomorphize that into what it meant for you emotionally and all that. And that there was kind of an underlying subtext, at least that I picked up. I, I yeah. assume that was intended. Um, are you going to do more stuff about working out? Is there poetry about working out or are those for the most part, two separate realms that you're like, no, I'm not in that headspace. I don't write about that. Cause that's just, you know, frontal lobe madness and i don't try to analyze that or unpack that and i think there's some there's there's more in there um and i think maybe when i get down to it and maybe i need to write a little bit more about my experience up in montana at the the patrol base abate retreat mm -hmm. um and i guess i could talk about it a little bit um why that is not a separate thing for me um on the final day of the retreat, we did this, um, I guess if you know anything about CrossFit, a team wad, it was five hours long. Holy criminy. Oh my gosh. I, there are few things in that time span that I have done in my life that were that difficult. And both of them resulted in babies. And <laughs> like, this was one of the most difficult challenges that I've ever had to do in that you know, in a single space of time. And I think for some other people, like physically, it wasn't as much of a challenge for me. It was, I mean, I was like 190 pounds when I went there. I was not running like hardly at all. Um, I had kind of just started getting back into the swing of working out. I'd lost 20 pounds in 2020 mm. or no, in 2019. 
And then I gained okay. all of those pounds back during 2020. Sure, sure. Um, just lack of consistency. And so when I showed up in Montana, you know, I'm, I'm wearing all that weight. And I'm not looking super great. But I was super motivated to be there. And we get on this team exercise the final day. And our team did not perform the best. But, damn, we were the most motivated team. I mean, we were screaming. We were yelling. We were ready to get things done. And we weren't hitting the most reps or the highest weight on each of these little stations that we were rotating through. But we were happy to be there. And I was making sure that that team my team were happy to be there. And I think part of it for me was that catharsis that I was talking about earlier of just the physical work of your body and allowing the stress of your mind to come out through that physical work um, and make sense of a lot of my life. And, you know, even being at this retreat, a lot of my experience as a veteran, being with other veterans, all of these things that we're focusing on during this retreat allowing myself to make sense of that as I'm doing something physically strenuous. Um, and there's a quote from gates of fire that's in my Instagram bio. That's, uh, the hardship of the exercise is not just for the body, but it's also for the mind. Um, I know that's not an exact quote, but, um, and I really believe that, that it's, it's not just for my body. It's also for my mind. Um, so I definitely, I would be working out if it wasn't for the, the desire to get back in the Marine Corps, but also it is, uh, I think it's an indicator that there's more, more poetry about squats coming. There should be. And all of it. And, and the warrior stuff too, um, because I think you have a very unique perspective on that. And I think, and, and, and not just unique perspective, but you also are a talented enough writer that you can articulate it. I think it'd be interesting for people to hear that from your voice um i I think there's a lot yeah i'd I'd be interested to see what you could churn out with that when is your book do you you have a deadline for your book no anything formal okay no so i don't um i kind of have an idea of who i want to go through for publishing but i haven't i haven't formalized yet yeah okay um all right i have to go pick up my kid but um Dude, this is fucking awesome. I really appreciate this. This was it was great to talk about all this stuff. And um I definitely want to have you back on when your book is close to getting out there so we can give it a push. Um for sure. And uh we're gonna talk anyway, because I think um, as I kind of told you guys before, like the vet rep event, I think spurred a lot of second and third order effects that we haven't fully dev out yet. But I think there's yeah. some cool stuff that'll come from that. Um and uh anyway we'll talk about all that down the road but anyway dex you fucking rock let's talk soon thank you thanks for having me i enjoyed it i like talking about myself because i like myself so (laughs) (laughs) everyone else should like me too we're here for it (laughs) all right talk to you in bed all right thanks that was the savage wonder of dex you've been listening to savage wonder the podcast for warriors and artists and a production of the Veterans Repertory Theater. The opinions expressed, as always, do not represent anything or anyone other than the speaker. And check out what's going on with us. The best way to do it probably is to keep tabs on us at vetrep.org. Again, vetrep.org. But Instagram is a close second. You can always find us at 
Vet Rep Theater on Instagram or at Vet Rep Theater on Twitter or at Veterans Repertory Theater on Facebook. Uh, give us a follow, send us feedback, and um, you can link to that even through our vetrep.org site. So those are all the best ways to stay on top of what we are doing. If you like the written word, if you love reading fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, subscribe to the Savage Wonder Literary Blog. You can do that two different ways. You can either go to the blog at savagewonder.substack.com. Yes, we're part of that Substack movement. So savagewonder.substack.com or go to vetrep.org and just go to the Now Playing tab, click on it, and you'll see the option to go to the literary blog and you can get it through there as well. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, might as well do so. You're already listening to it. Um, you can always find us at savagewonder.podbean.com or again, just go to vetrep.org, hit the now playing tab, and you will see the option to listen to the podcast. If you're on iTunes, we would deeply appreciate a five-star review. You can actually say whatever you want about us, but if you could put five stars and attach that to your comments, that would be outstanding because that kind of stuff matters. If you want to submit your work to Veterans Repertory Theater, obviously we have our playwriting competition going on. Like I talked about with Dex, uh, we ha- the, our current competition ends on December 31st, but we have another one that starts on January 1st um, and goes for another six months. So it is a perpetual ongoing series of competitions. We have a 10-minute playwriting competition and a full-length playwriting competition. By all means, submit your work to us there. Or if you want to contribute uh, some poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction to the Savage Wonder Literary Blog, whatever you want to contribute to us, go to vetrep.org, go to the submissions tab, and you will have the opportunity to submit for any competition you want or the Savage Wonder Literary Blog. As always, thanks to our producer, Michael Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time, and we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.